History of England, Chapter 13, Part 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of England, from the Accession of James the Second by Thomas Babington Macaulay. Chapter 13, Part 11. While Mackay from one side, and Dundee from the other, were advancing towards Blair Castle, important events had taken place there. Murray's adherents soon began to waver in their fidelity to him. They had an old antipathy to Whigs, for they considered the name of Whig as synonymous with the name of Campbell. They saw arrayed against them a large number of their kinsmen, commanded by a gentleman who was supposed to possess the confidence of the Marquis. The besieging army, therefore, melted rapidly away. Many returned home on the plea that, as their neighborhood was about to be the seat of war, they must place their families and cattle in security. Others more ingeniously declared that they would not fight in such a quarrel. One large body went to a brook, filled their bonnets with water, drank a health to King James, and then dispersed. Their zeal for King James, however, did not induce them to join the standard of his general. They lurked among the rocks and thickets which overhang the Gary, in the hope that there would soon be a battle, and that, whatever might be the event, there would be fugitives and corpses to plunder. Murray was in a strait. His force had dwindled to three or four hundred men. Even in those men he could put little trust, and the Macdonalds and Camerons were advancing fast. He therefore raised the siege of Blair Castle, and retired with a few followers into the defile of Killiecrankey. There he was soon joined by a detachment of two hundred fusiliers whom Mackay had sent forward to secure the pass. The main body of the lowland army speedily followed. Early in the morning of Saturday, the 27th of July, Dundee arrived at Blair Castle. There he learned that Mackay's troops were already in the ravine at Killiecrankey. It was necessary to come to a prompt decision. A council of war was held. The Saxon officers were generally against hazarding a battle. The Celtic chiefs were of a different opinion. Glengarry and Lochiel were now both of a mind. "'Fight, my lord,' said Lochiel with his usual energy. "'Fight immediately. Fight if you have only one to three. Our men are in heart. Their only fear is that the enemy should escape. Give them their way.' and be assured that they will either perish or gain a complete victory. But if you restrain them, if you force them to remain on the defensive, I answer for nothing. If we do not fight, we had better break up and retire to our mountains. Dundee's countenance brightened. You hear, gentlemen, he said to lowland officers, you hear the opinion of one who understands Highland war better than any of us. No voice was raised on the other side. It was determined to fight, and the confederated clans in high spirits set forward to encounter the enemy. The enemy, meanwhile, had made his way up the pass. The ascent had been long and toilsome, for even the foot had to climb by twos and threes, and the baggage-horses, twelve hundred in number, could mount only one at a time. No wheeled carriage had ever been tugged up that arduous path. The head of the column had emerged and was on the table-land while the rear-guard was still in the plain below. At length the passage was effected, and the troops found themselves in a valley of no great extent. Their right was flanked by a rising ground, their left by the gary. 
Wearied with the morning's work, they threw themselves on the grass to take some rest and refreshment. Early in the afternoon they were roused by an alarm that the Highlanders were approaching. Regiment after regiment started up and got into order. In a little while the summit of an ascent, which was about a musket-shot before them, was covered with bonnets and plaids. Dundee rode forward for the purpose of surveying the force with which he was to contend, and then drew up his own men with as much skill as their peculiar character permitted him to exert. It was desirable to keep the clans distinct. Each tribe, large or small, formed a column separated from the next column by a wide interval. One of these battalions might contain seven hundred men, while another consisted of only a hundred and twenty. Lochiel had represented that it was impossible to mix men of different tribes without destroying all that constituted the peculiar strength of a Highland army. On the right, close to the Gary, were the Maclean's. Next to them were Cannon and his Irish foot. Then came the Macdonalds of Clan Ronald, commanded by the guardian of their young prince. On the left were other bands of Macdonalds. At the head of one large battalion towered the stately form of Glengarry, who bore in his hand the royal standard of King James the Seventh. Still further to the left were the cavalry, a small squadron consisting of some Jacobite gentlemen who had fled from the lowlands to the mountains, and of about forty of Dundee's old troopers. The horses had been ill-fed and ill-tended among the Grampians, and looked miserably lean and feeble. Beyond them was Lochiel with his Camerons. On the extreme left the men of the sky were marshalled by MacDonald of Sleet. In the Highlands, as in all countries where war has not become a science, men thought it the most important duty of a commander to set an example of personal courage and of bodily exertion. Lochiel was especially renowned for his physical prowess. His clansmen looked big with pride when they related how he had himself broken hostile ranks and hewn down tall warriors. He probably owed quite as much of his influence to these achievements as to the high qualities which, if fortune had placed him in the English Parliament or at the French court, would have made him one of the foremost men of his age. He had the sense, however, to perceive how erroneous was the notion which his countrymen had formed. He knew that to give and to take blows was not the business of a general. He knew, with how much difficulty Dundee had been able to keep together, during a few days, an army composed of several clans, and he knew that what Dundee had effected, with difficulty, Cannon would not be able to effect at all. The life on which so much depended must not be sacrificed to a barbarous prejudice. Lochiel, therefore, adjured Dundee not to run into any unnecessary danger. "'Your lordship's business,' he said, "'is to overlook everything, and to issue your commands. Our business is to execute those commands bravely and promptly.' Dundee answered with calm magnanimity that there was much weight in what his friend Sir Ewan had urged, but that no general could effect anything great without possessing the confidence of his men. I must establish my character for courage. Your people expect to see their leaders in the thickest of the battle, and to-day they shall see me there. I promise you on my honour that in future fights I will take more care of myself. Meanwhile a fire of musketry was kept up on both sides, but more skilfully and more steadily by the regular soldiers than by the mountaineers. The space between the armies was one cloud of smoke. 
not a few highlanders dropped and the clans grew impatient the sun however was low in the west before dundee gave the order to prepare for action his men raised a great shout the enemy probably exhausted by the toil of the day returned a feeble and wavering cheer we shall do it now said lochiel that is not the cry of men who are going to win he had walked through all his ranks had addressed a few words to every cameron and had taken from every cameron a promise to conquer or die it was past seven o'clock dundee gave the word the highlanders dropped their plaids the few who were so luxurious as to wear rude socks of untanned hide spurned them away it was long remembered in lochaber that lochiel took off what probably was the only pair of shoes in his clan and charged barefoot at the head of his men the whole line advanced firing the enemy returned the fire and did much execution when only a small space was left between the armies the highlanders suddenly flung away their firelocks drew their broadswords and rushed forward with a fearful yell the lowlanders prepared to receive the shock but this was then a long and awkward process and the soldiers were still fumbling with the muzzles of their guns and the handles of their bayonets when the whole flood of Macleans, Macdonalds, and Camerons came down. In two minutes the battle was lost and won. The ranks of Balfour's regiment broke. He was cloven down while struggling in the press. Ramsay's men turned their backs and dropped their arms. Mackay's own foot were swept away by the furious onset of the Camerons. His brother and nephew exerted themselves in vain to rally the men. The former was laid dead on the ground by a stroke from a claymore. The latter, with eight wounds on his body, made his way through the tumult and carnage to his uncle's side. Even in that extremity Mackay retained all his self-possession. He had still one hope. A charge of horse might recover the day for of the horse the bravest highlanders were supposed to stand in awe but he called on the horse in vain belhaven indeed behaved like a gallant gentleman but his troopers appalled by the rout of the infantry galloped off in disorder annandale's men followed all was over and the mingled torrent of redcoats and tartans went raving down the valley to the gorge of killiecranky mackay accompanied by one trusty servant spurred bravely through the thickest of the claymores and targets and reached a point from which he had a view of the field his whole army had disappeared with the exception of some borderers whom levin had kept together and of hastings regiment which had poured a murderous fire into the celtic ranks and which still kept unbroken order all the men that could be collected were only a few hundreds the general made haste to lead them across the carry, and having put that river between them and the enemy, paused for a moment to meditate on his situation. He could hardly understand how the conquerors could be so unwise as to allow him even that moment for deliberation. They might with ease have killed or taken all who were with him before the night closed in. But the energy of the Celtic warriors had spent itself in one furious rush and one short struggle. The pass was choked by the twelve hundred beasts of burden which carried the provisions and baggage of the vanquished army. Such a booty was irresistibly tempting to men who were impelled to war quite as much by the desire of rapine as by the desire of glory. 
it is probable that few, even of the chiefs, were disposed to leave so rich a price for the sake of King James. Dundee himself might at that moment have been unable to persuade his followers to quit the heaps of spoil, and to complete the great work of the day, and Dundee was no more. At the beginning of the action he had taken his place in front of his little band of cavalry. He bade them follow him, and rode forward. But it seemed to be decreed that, on that day, the lowland Scotch should in both armies appear to disadvantage. The horse hesitated. Dundee turned around, and stood up in his stirrups, and, waving his hat, invited them to come on. As he lifted his arm, his cuirass rose, and exposed the lower part of his left side. A musket-ball struck him. His horse sprang forward and plunged into a cloud of smoke and dust, which hid from both armies the fall of the victorious general. A person named Johnston was near him and caught him as he sank down from the saddle. "'How goes the day?' said Dundee. "'Well, for King James,' answered Johnston, "'but I am sorry for your lordship.' "'If it is well for him,' answered the dying man, "'it matters the less for me.' He never spoke again. But when, half an hour later, Lord Dunfermline and some other friends came to the spot, they thought that they could still discern some faint remains of life. The body, wrapped in two plaids, was carried to the castle of Blair. End of chapter 13, part 11